Hey everyone and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajamra and I am so excited that you came back to this podcast. If it's your first time here, you came at the right time. We have been doing a leadership series, but we're going to step away from it for the next six weeks. The reason is that we need to focus on fearlessness. We're living in the coronavirus crisis and many of us are still living at home in a shelter in place situation and our anxieties and our fears are going up. But we know as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that there is a better way to live. It is a way of faith and fearlessness. And so we looked in our archives and found a six-message series that I've taught at Judson University here in Chicago. I think you're going to love it. Each message is about 30, 35 minutes long. We're going to do one a week for the next six weeks, and then we'll resume our leadership podcast. Hey, as we've thought about you and prayed over you, we believe that you might also enjoy our uh, new community page. Basically, it's a Living With Power Facebook page in which I teach live every Thursday from 7 to 8. We'd love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is go to our website, the livingwithpower.org website, and as soon as you land there, you'll see a box that says join our community. Click on it and join our community. Uh, Then on Thursdays at 7, log in and you'll see me there live. We love what's happening there. God is moving in hearts. Hey, if you want to live without fear, you get together with God's people, study his word, and see him break through the chains of fear in your life. For today, let's take the next 30 minutes, meditate on God's word, and see how he might use his word to cause us to live in confidence that he who brought us this far is going to get us through it. I love you guys, and I'll catch you at the end of this. I love this book. I, I think if you haven't gotten that much about me by now, then you're not listening. And I, I, I don't know how you could, you know, God help you, how you could sleep when I'm yelling in your face. But Chris and I were laughing today. Someone said he sounds angry when he's speaking. And I thought, man, I'm scared to ask what they think when I'm speaking. But, you know, like the Lebanese, you know, mafias out here or something. But, but seriously, I love this book. I've, I've watched my mom growing up. We grew up in West Beirut, but we grew up in a crazy, crazy time. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was only like 15 years of my life, but enough to scar me for life. But it was, it was crazy because we would, I remember one of my earliest memories being woken up in the middle of the night to go into, like, the bombing would get so bad. And it would happen sporadically. Like, like everything would be fine. We were very normal in most ways. But then every so often, there would be an exacerbation of the war. Kind of like I always compared to asthmatics. I don't know if any of you have asthma. You have it all the time, but there's times when it's worse. That's how I always felt about the war. So I was there, but then there were times around the springtime when it got really worse. And I remember being woken up as an 8-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old in the middle of the night to go into that area in our house that didn't have any glass around it because it was safer. We, my mom didn't want us to go down to the, to the basement of the building. It was a bit, there were rats and stuff. So we just chose to stay. We might have died. I mean, it was a sacrifice, but she had to choose, like, die in the building or go to the basement with the rats. And we were, like, you know, taking our chances. But here, when my mom would sit in that room, and we would all kind of, you know, kids, we didn't have Nintendo or anything like that, so we would fight or beat each other up. But my mom would have her Bible open and be reading it. My dad was usually in the hospital. He was a plastic surgeon and covered a lot of the trauma during the war. And so he'd be gone and really would, you know, have the struggle in his heart, I believe, because he wanted to be with us, but he was gone. And so my mom was kind of watching over us. And I'm telling you, I remember being an 8 and a 9 and a 10 and a 12-year-old watching my mother with this book. And, 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 and then later in life, my dad came to Christ about 15 years into their marriage, and we moved to the States. And watching both of them, my dad passed away this summer, and just seeing him twice a day, morning and evening, just opening God's Word, getting on his knees in front of his bed and praying. And I'm telling you, my family has been impacted by this book. And she, watching my mother in particular and her example and her love for this Word just kind of rubbed off on us. And I started seeing the peace that it gave her and the strength. My mom is a very strong woman, a quiet strength. And, and just the feeling that there was nothing that she couldn't face because of this book. 
And so I kind of started, you know, that walk with the Bible where, where you know, you, you know you're supposed to read it. I mean, most Christians kind of know that. But, but in college, I had, I had these moments where I'd know and I'd feel guilty and I'd read it. And then I'd drop off and I'd feel guilty and I'd read it. And, and here's what I learned. You don't do anything in the Christian life driven by guilt. I mean, it only goes so far, right? I mean, you tell yourself, I'm never going to watch this thing again, and so you last like 30 days, and then you're back watching this thing. Then you tell yourself, I'm going to read my Bible every day, and you may do it for three months, and then you fall off when, when life gets busy. And, and you name it, going to church. If you're doing it out of duty and obligation, it's not going to last. And so there came a point in my life when, when it kind of transitioned from duty to delight. And so where I just knew that, that in this book were secrets. And that's what God talks about in this book. And, and you, you really get to know the Lord through this book. And so tonight, you know, it's funny, I, I, there's about 20 minutes, I want to try to finish by 10.30, but I want to, there's been so many passages in this book that I absolutely love, and I'm teaching on a lot of them this week, this morning, one of my favorite passages, but tonight, I want to tell you about a woman that I think is just unbelievably, the story is just crazy awesome, and, 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 and as I've read this book, beginning to, and there's some chapters, I'm not going to lie, in some books that you're like, really, like, I can't really spend any more time in that, you know, Leviticus chapter 13, I'm done, I can't tell the difference between one law and one feast, and one just, la, 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 right, and you're like, God, forgive me, forgive me, and you kind of have that thing, and you're just like, that's when you, everything falls apart in your life, because you're just back in that performance thing, and you know that, you know, anyone else does that, no, just me, okay, anyway, I, uh, this is not one of those passages, in First Kings, I don't know if you have your Bibles or not, but I'm going to read you the story, and I'm really going to let you, um, just give you three points, as I've promised <laughs> every session. I'm going to give you three points, and I've called this session this, fearless when it might cost me too much. It costs some of you tonight, sleep. It costs some of you homework time. Maybe you're stressed about what you, how you're going to study and do well on an exam this week, but you made a choice, so, so that was a choice you had to make, and, and you made a resolve to be here even though you had that fear, so you, that overcame the fear. But So I want to talk about not just decisions and 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 situations where you might think, oh, that might cost me a lot, but, but I'm talking about life choices, like life-changing, life-altering choices. Fearless, I want to be fearless when it might cost me too much. See, Christianity that's easy just doesn't impress me. And, and it's funny because here in this country, I think that a lot of us want that type of Christianity. And, and, and we want God and whatever else meets our needs. We want God and our lifestyle, God and our big houses, God and our career choices, God and, you name it, and we, God and our whatever love life we choose, God and our freedom of whatever, you know, and it's just like, it's underwhelming to me, especially growing up in a place like Beirut, and especially keeping up now with people in the Middle East who are living their lives in ways that, that, that are unbelievably, radically, shockingly worshipful of God. And the cost for many of these people that I run into, by the way, not just there, there are people here that you and I know that have given up everything to follow Jesus Christ. And, and, and isn't that the model of Christianity that Jesus gives us? In fact, in fact, Jesus said it this way. I think it's in Luke where he says, if you like count the cost, I mean, Jesus didn't make it easy for us. We all know that. Like these aren't just words that, that I'm telling you that you've never heard before. If you've never heard them, then you, I need to have a talk with Chris afterwards. But I'm sure Chris has kind of covered this material before. But let me find this. Here we go. In Luke chapter 14, here's Jesus speaking. I mean, we call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. So it would behoove us to know what he said, not what we mean, what we interpret what he said, but what he said. And I love it in 2016 how everybody wants to add the name of Jesus to everything. And, and somehow it's like I can believe whatever I want, but if I add Jesus to that, then it's okay. And I don't understand that kind of thinking because I don't think you have to really tell Jesus what he thinks and tell Jesus what he said. You can just go to the Word and you can read it. 
and he's as clear as, day. I mean, I'm, this is not even my first language, and I understand the basics of what he says. And, and so here's what he says about discipleship. I've got to aim it here in the light. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And, 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 and I can't tell you, like, I grew up listening to these verses, and there's a, a sense where it passes over you, and it doesn't even phase you, but, but listen to what he's saying. And, and it's almost like there's a part of my brain that reads this and says, I'm, I'm sure there's something in the translation, because does he really want me to hate my family? But that's not what he's saying, is it? He's saying that you've got to choose him above everything else. And so he goes on, he explains this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is where I love it. He says, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? And I don't know, many of you, there's some newlyweds, Gavin, and others too. But listen, I mean, don't you like sit down, I'm sure you guys did it before the wedding, you kind of, hey, how much are you going to be making, where are we going to live, and, and you might not think of it in college, but I promise you, as soon as you finish, if you, you, there will come a time when you will want to buy a house, you will want to make some decisions, and you will have to count the cost, this is so practical. And he's saying this the same way applies to walking with him. He says, he says well, who, uh, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now, here's the verse. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now we go to 1 Kings 17, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And it's the story of a woman. She's a widow, and she's poor. And what happens in the story is a bit shocking, kind of like the words of Jesus in that verse, the section that I just read. So let me read you the story, and then I want to give you just three points about it and, and, and just kind of ask the Holy Spirit really to move in our hearts. And, and as we lean into what God might have for us, that he would stir in us and do a work that is not just for tonight or for this week, but that will last us a lifetime that you would be able to look back on this night and say, man, there are some things that God has been trying to work and to move in your heart, and, and this might be the night where you would say, God, I'm giving it to you, and, and that you would do it fearlessly, even though it might cost you too much. For some of you, it might cost you everything, and, and you might know exactly what I'm talking about even now as I'm throwing out this challenge for you today. Kind of a subtitle to the stock I, I, I called it when, or, or I called the the, the the title to the stock that I gave is the struggle is real because it's not easy to do these things. I don't think these are things that you can just like like you know put it on your to do list and be like I'm giving it all to Jesus. Check check check. I mean it will take some wrestling. Some of you have been wrestling with these things for weeks, and the Holy Spirit has ordained this moment that you would be here. We would hear this teaching, and He might be saying to you right now, "This is the day where I want you to give it up, all of it." Say, what does Jesus want? He wants everything. He wants everything. He's clear. He says it. And if you can't do that, then you might not be a follower of Jesus Christ because I just read you the words that he said about following him. And so I, I wrote this sentence, and I think this is such a critical sentence. When you waste your life for God, your life is never wasted. When you waste your life for God, your life is never wasted. Now, we're going to see this woman in 1 Kings. Let me hang on to my notes here so that we can get through these three points because you guys know I am OCD. I will finish those three points if it kills me by 1030. No, just kidding. All right, here we go. 
Now, let me give you context. Elijah is one of my favorite Bible persons. In fact, I'm going to teach on him twice, tonight and on Thursday, I think. And, and, and that's something because I'm not teaching about anybody else twice. So that just gives you an idea how much I like Elijah. I like him because he's so real, and you're going to see talking about him today and then on Thursday. This guy was like highs and lows. And here, it's interesting because you know where, Eli- I mean, you're reading the Bible in First Kings and you're reading about like San- uh, David and Saul and blah, blah. And then, and then all of a sudden, you kind of get to First Kings 18 and, and out of the random blue, you get this like chapter 17 where it says, now Elijah the Tishbite, and he shows up out of the blue. Some of you won't long to be used by God. And you wonder if God knows where you are and what your talents are. Do you, you guys ever watch that movie Shrek? How many of you watch Shrek? Well, I work in a pediatric ER, so, you know, there's, there's, there, what happens is we have like, like eight movies for kids, and right now, unfortunately, the Shrek days are over. I don't know the last time I watched Shrek in the ER. I'm telling you, who, who knows what movie is being watched over and over again? Come on, yeah, let it go, come on. So I'm telling you, it's crazy. I, can't, I hate that movie. I mean, I, like my hands start shaking when I'm sewing someone and the song is in the background. I'm like, someone turn that thing off. But Shrek used to be awesome. And, and Shrek, here's what would happen. When the movie was finished, you know how at the end of a movie you don't want to leave, like you just sit around? Well, then there's that frozen scene, like not frozen the movie. We don't want to talk about that. I hate that movie. But I'm talking about that scene at the end where like the credits are done. And then it just stays there. And if you don't turn the channel off, it just stays there. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It just kind of sits there. Maybe in the bottom it says, like, play movie, rewind, you know, and you have to press play movie. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, if, you, if you've ever watched that scene, like, because nobody in the room is, everybody's too lazy to press the button. And so I'm sewing the kid and the movie's playing in the background. So I've had hours of watching that scene. And, and I'm telling you, there's that donkey. I don't even know his name. And that do- what was his name? Donkey, right. Thanks. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night, excuse me. And so <laughs> I'm like one of those normal people who's usually in bed by now. And so, so that donkey, like he jumps up. I think it's the donkey, but I think it's him. And he jumps up in the movie over and over again. He's like, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Pick. Anyone know that scene? Okay, isn't it an awesome scene? And how many of you upper rumors here that, you know, know exactly what that feels like? And you're like, God, pick me, pick me. And you're hungering to serve God. Some of you, you're like already dealt with that, giving everything to Jesus bit. You've already given him everything. And your frustration is, is like, you're like, does God even know what I can do? I'm dying to be used by God. And it is stories like the story of Elijah that are revving up of our souls because you're like, this guy shows up out of nowhere from a town the Tishba, which is a town that was like in the middle of nowhere. And God says, today is the day, Elijah. And he shows up and predicts the drought. He's the only prophet who predicts this drought. The guy becomes the nemesis of the king. It's, it's, just, it's awesome. And, and right after, the sh- he shows up and he makes this great prediction and it happens. Like there's a drought. And so he's like the hot stuff of the Christian world in that day, right? I mean, he's like, he's like you know, the, that, that like pastor that's on the cover of GQ magazine and whatever. Like, he's the guy, right? But instead of, like, you know, stepping up to that platform and making the most of it for Jesus and, and like, tweeting up and getting the followers and doing all these things, instead, do you know what God does to Elijah? He says, hey, Elijah, back out of this show with the king. You've done your job. Now go by a river, a stream, such as you might have, here at Judson, except it's in the middle of nowhere. And he says, just sit by the stream. I'm going to provide for you a piece of meat and a piece of bread every day by a bird. 
And remember, he had just predicted a three-year drought. So here's Elijah. He shows up to the river, and he's eating. First there's water, and he's eating. And, and then God's like, the bird's bringing him food. And, and it's a pretty awesome story because here's the guy who says, pick me. And he shows up, does something awesome for the Lord. And like in the next breath, you're at the river by yourself eating leftover, you know, spam by the bird that brings it to you. I mean, this whole thing is crazy. But what happens to a river in a drought? It dries up, right? And so sure enough, it uh, dried up. And so what happened then? It says in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. So, so time's up, right? You've already served your time. You've been a year and a half by a river that's drying up on your own. Like, God, okay, we've already gone through it. I was the donkey who said, pick me, pick me, pick me. You picked me. Then you threw me on the side. And now like, is it time to get back in the game? And here's where God sends a man who has been obedient and faithful to him. This is where he goes next. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him. This wasn't something he made up. He looked to, I love this word. You see, the word of the Lord came to him. In the old days, God would speak through visions. He does sometimes now, but for the most part, this is where, this book is where we hear the word of the Lord. Many of you are like, you, I know how it is because I read tweets and I watch YouTubes and TV preachers and and there's a sense sometimes where you think, man, how come God's talking to them and, and not to me? And I wish God would speak loudly to me. And I would start here. There's no great man or woman of God who hasn't lived all out for God and seen him do mighty things in their life who didn't plant their feet in the word of God and, and, and embrace the promises of the Lord and saw him come through for them. And so stop looking for the things. He might. He might speak to you loudly. I, I'm not going to argue that, but I'm telling you, he's always going to speak through his word. So get it off the shelf in the morning. I know you're up now till 10, 30, 11, maybe midnight tonight. Get up in the morning. No one's going to do it for you. Dig your feet in the Word and say, God, give me a promise. Give me a word for this situation, for this decision. And so the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he says, Arise, go to Seraphath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. He sends him to my land, God's land, Lebanon. <laughs> it's so funny. Of all the places that he could have sent him, he sends him to like, like they weren't even, the Jewish people didn't even consider it worth, you know, it's Lebanon, it's not even Israel, right? And so, so he sends him up there, not to, not to like the mayor of the town, he sends him to a poor widow. Lost my dad this summer, my mom is now a widow. And, and, and you know, we're not living back in, you know, the, to year 2 AD or 5 AD or 10 AD. I mean, I know how things have changed. And singleness and widowhood are not what they used to be, but still a widow is someone who needs help, not someone who is a source of strength, if you think about it. And, and, and instead of weighing on a widow, usually we want to help widows. I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? And so watch this interaction that takes place here. It says that Elijah... Well, it says that God said to Elijah, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. What kind of conversations were happening between the widow and God? So he arose and went to Zarephath. Again, he doesn't argue. He doesn't debate. He doesn't question. He just goes, Elijah. And he says, uh, When he came to the gate of the city, behold, in fact, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me 
a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that sounds a little rude to me. (laughs) Who shows up to someone's house and says, give me, give me, give me, bring me. But she was driven by the Lord. And God had spoken to Elijah, and he was so certain of it. And listen, and the widow had heard from the Lord. But it didn't make it any easier. I've got to give you three points. Here's the first of the points, and it is this. It is scary to give up everything to God. It is scary to give up everything to God. Listen to what happens. The widow, he says to her, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Here's what she said. As the Lord, your God, lives. She doesn't yet, I don't know what her relationship with God was at the time, but she still didn't see him maybe as her God. He was the God of the people of Israel. He was a prophet of God. and I don't know that she had a personal relationship with him yet, but maybe she was seeking him. But she says, as the Lord, your God, lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In other words, she's like, are you crazy? Do you want me to give you? I don't have anything to give you. Now, most of us would be like, no, you're such a poor widow. It's okay. Let me just see what I can do to help. But you see, Elijah was obedient to the word of the Lord. Listen to what he said. He said to her, do not fear. Talking about being fearless when it might cost me too much and the scary nature of giving the little that you have to God. And God in his goodness, whatever was happening in the heart of this widow and whatever was happening in Elijah. See, Elijah is this prophet and we think he's so big in my mind, but yet he was a human. We're going to see on Thursday, very much like us, very prone to fears, very prone to discouragement and, and just desperately wanting to be used by God. And so he's following God's command, and he speaks those words to her. He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, he, he doesn't let up. He doesn't be like, you're an exception to the rule. You're right. Everyone else has to denounce everything, but you don't. You get an exception to the rule. You get to do it your way. I'll feed you instead. And he is going to feed her. We know that. Well, we all know the end of the story. But he doesn't let up. He says to her, first... Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Talked about living in the gap yesterday. The gap between you're taking a first step of obedience and God delivering the gap between the promise made and the deliverance and the miracle that you're waiting for. This is the gap. This is her saying, I'm going to give you everything I have, even though it's scary, because I'm going to trust your promise. I'm not trusting Elijah. I'm not trusting the flour and the oil and the fact that nature might bring me a bird someday. I'm trusting that God Almighty has promised to do this, and I'm going to wait until he delivers. And so it says in verse 15, and she went and did As Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Do you see why it is critical for you to start claiming God's promises 
to stop living by feelings, to stop looking at your circumstances and being like, well, I think God says that. Stop thinking. Put your feet on the word of God and circle the promises that apply to your situation and hold God to his word. He will always come through. He will always do what he's promised. That is the God that we serve. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? And if he can and he hasn't, it's because there's a really good reason that we don't need it right now. And see, we don't see the end of the picture. All we're asked is to give him everything we have right now, even when it's scary. You know, that's all God wants is it's what's in your hands. You might be like, well, it's nothing. Remember the boy with the fish and the bread? 5,000 men were in that group. Only the little boy gave what he had. You know what amazes me about that story even more? If you turn in your Bible a page in the New Testament, do you know that not long after the feeding of the 5,000, there's a story which is the feeding of the 4,000? You guys know tracking with me? They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. A chapter later, he's with 4,000 people, and he says to them, I'm going to feed the people. Got any food? He'd just been there and done that. Wouldn't you think that 15, 50, 100 people would have jumped up and been like, I got my fish and my bread here. Take it. Do something with it. Do you know that they had nothing but a handful of fish and a couple pieces of bread, even in that second miracle? Everybody hung on to what they had. I don't know why no one else could add one plus one equals two. The same Jesus who fed the 5,000 was about to feed the 4,000, and no one stepped up with the fish and the bread, but, but a couple, maybe what, we don't even know who it was. But doesn't it shock you that only a chapter later there's the same resistance to giving our all to Jesus. And yet a widow in the Old Testament had nothing. And she was willing to give it all to God, even though she might have been petrified. That's stepping up in faith. And it's not blind faith. It is a faith based on the promise of God. So it's scary to give everything up to God. Here's a second point. It's dangerous to give everything to God. It is dangerous to give up everything to God. You see, the problem is that things don't always turn out well when you give everything to God. Listen to what happens. It says, after this, so things are going well for a while. She gives her the jar and she gets the oil. Now, every day they, they see a symbol of God's faithfulness as they eat the bread and drink the oil or whatever they did with the oil. I don't cook, so I already told you that, but they made it, maybe used the oil to make the bread, and I don't know what happened there in the kitchen, but something did. And, and then after a few days of this kind of joyful living in the place where God is providing. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. There's always a disaster around the corner, isn't there? It says, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. See, it's not only scary to give everything up to God, it is dangerous to give everything up to God. Because just when you think, like, I've given him everything, something happens and he's like, I want more. The test of your surrender comes when you say yes, even when you feel like saying no. So you know it might not turn out well for you. 
I wrote my book, Stripped. I have two books out and another one coming out this spring. I'm going to tell you a bit more about the story of the third book in one of the chapels in the next couple of days. And, and uh, I remember writing Stripped. And, you know, Stripped is a story of what happens when you kind of step out in faith. You know, everyone talks about saying yes to God, and it's awesome. But what people don't always tell you is that when you say yes to God, things don't always initially look good. Things sometimes turn out bad for a while before they look good. And, and I don't know why that surprises us, because it's the model in Scripture over and over and over again. Abraham was promised a son, and then all hell broke loose in his family. Joseph was promised a dream, and then he spent 13 years as a slave and wrongly accused. Moses was given a calling, and then he spends 40 years in the wilderness, and you follow men and women of God, and over and over and over again, they said yes. They were all in, and then things didn't turn out so good for them until God's perfect timing. And so sometimes it's dangerous to give up everything to God. You know, I love Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, it's a chapter of men and women of God who put their faith in God. It is the faith chapter of the Bible. And you know, of all the examples, you read about some awesome people. You read about, in fact, this woman is mentioned in Hebrews 11. And you read about Daniel. You read about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. You read about all these awesome people. But then you get to the end of it, and it says, it gives you an example of men and women who trusted God, who stepped out in faith. In fact, let me read you this verse at the risk of keeping you up till midnight. It says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. In fact, earlier in the chapter it says the same thing. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But you see, they understood that there was a better thing promised, and it was the person of Jesus Christ. I think if you have ever questioned the truth of the gospel, all you need to do is be around someone who's dying. Because when you're in that moment, I went in May, early May, my dad got really sick. He, he had kind of been a little bit sick, but very normally functioning. He was on kidney dialysis for two years. And, and then May 2nd, he came back from Florida with my mom. And, and literally the next day, he got so sick. And for about three months, from May 2nd till about July 21, he passed away July 21. I mean, our family walked through hell. Mostly it was hospice care in our house. And, and I'm a doctor, and I don't know that I was even prepared for the, all that entailed in that season. And you know, that last week and just watching that process of death, many of you who might have gone through that, I mean, we shy away from these topics in our culture. We don't want to talk about death. We kind of avoid it. If someone's sick, we kind of, you know, do our duty. We go to the wake, and we hurry up through the line and, and you know, send the flowers. And, but, but, but when you live it, there's a sense of this reality. There's a very fine curtain between life and death. A and to watch it all, I, remember I was the only one in my dad's presence when he died. My mom had stepped away to the kitchen. Literally, we were with him for about three hours that morning. My sister decided to go shower. My mom stepped to the kitchen, and I was the only one left in the room. And, and I was, it, was, it was a really very holy moment. We had been playing worship songs and just kind of just kind of resting, you know, kind of waiting to see what would happen, not sure if he would have a day or a week, but knowing that the end was very, clear, very, very soon. And I'm watching that last breath. It was like feeling the Spirit of God there. I mean, I don't want to be weird or anything, but I almost saw there was a moment where my dad was sleeping and then opened his eyes and you could almost see his spirit being moved out of a body. And, and, and understand this, I am an ER doctor. I am not into mystical, spiritual, like, like, I watch people die. I mean, I just, I'm a pra as pragmatic as it gets. 
But to be in that moment and to see that, we are not going to be here forever. We make so much of the things that we want, a husband, a child, a house, a career, riches, a ministry, success. We make so much of it, and we think, God, if you just meet that need, I'll be so happy. But the problem is we're only going to run across another problem in a week or two. And, and Lazarus might be raised from the dead like we spoke about this morning, but he's going to eventually die. And until you understand that as scary as it is to give up everything to God and as dangerous as it is to give everything up to God, the third point is this, it is awesome to give up everything to God. And if you want to see God do more in your life, you're going to have to get to the place in your life where you give him more, where you give him everything. You say, what did Elijah say to the woman when, he, when she came to him bemoaning her life and saying, man, it's my past. Why are you doing this? It's, you're, you're against me. And here's what he says to her. He said to her, give me your son. Let that sit on you for a minute. Let that settle on you as you lean in. She'd already given him her last bit of flour, her last bit of oil. And now, this son is not even alive. He's dead. And he's like, give me your son. And she has a choice to make. She could say no. And never see the boy again here on this earth. Or she could give him to Elijah and trust him to God's care. Elijah takes the son from her. They go up to the upper room. They, they leave her. She gives him up. I mean, she's not even whole. She, she gives him her son. She's done. Her hands are off. She's not trying to control it at this point. She's not trying to fix it. She can't. I found that where I've come to a place of surrender is often in the place where I just can't do anything to fix it anymore. And while I hate that place, I also find that that's the place where I'm finally ready to say, I'm done. God, it's all yours. And I've seen that pattern in my life over and over and over again where I get to the end of myself and I give that last bit to God. And listen, every time I have, it has been an awesome experience of seeing God take the little, even the the fighting that I've, you know, you don't even give it willfully sometimes. You give it because you don't feel like you have a choice, but you give it nonetheless. It's mangled. You know, a kid's giving you a little art project. It's mangled and dirty, and you're like, really? But you take it because the kid's giving it to you. That's how my offering to God offer feel, often feels. And yet God takes it. And, and in this situation, of course, there's also something happening with Elijah. I mean, he's seeing God's power because he's going to need to go through that too. Because what's happening to Elijah is that in a chapter, he's going to be taking on the people of Baal and seeing fire come down from heaven. And how can a man be ready to pray fire from heaven onto an altar if he hasn't experienced the resurrection of a boy a chapter before? And it's always the case in your life. You might be being asked to give everything right now. And someone next to you is being taught what it means to work God's power in their life. And God is doing so, a thousand million things around you. Isn't that what John Piper says? He's doing it. Ten thousand things when you can't see but one. And given my vision, half the time, I can't even see that one. That's why we're told we walk by faith and not by sight. And so the life of the child after 
It says that, I'm going to read the passage because it's so good. He cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber, fitting, or in the upper room, into the house. See, it all ties together. You can laugh. It's okay. He says, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. I told you yesterday, we say we believe God and half the time we don't really believe it. We saw that pattern with Martha. She said she believed, but she didn't really believe. And we see it here. This woman with a jar of oil said she believed. And God doesn't expect us to have perfect faith. But he wants us to have increasing faith. And over and over again, there will come points in your life where he, the Spirit of God, will look you in the eye and say, are you willing to give me your son? It is awesome to give up everything to God. It will always cost you more than you think you can afford. But it will always be worth more than you think you can even imagine. When you waste your life for God, your life is never wasted. Well, aren't you glad you listened? I don't know about you, but I needed this reminder that God is greater than my fears. And so if you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to share it with your friends. We'd also love for you to let us know. Email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. But more importantly, we'd love to meet you in a deeper and more intimate way on our Facebook community page. Uh, Again, just go to livingwithpower.org. As soon as you land there, you'll see a blue box that says join our community. It's free. Every Thursday, I teach there live, but we have all kinds of interactive things there for you to grow closer to God and to get to know His Word more. Hey, we're so glad you came today. Know that we'll be praying for you. We love you, and we pray that God will continue to manifest Himself into your life in greater ways and in a more intimate uh, fashion. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. For now, enjoy the day, and thanks for tuning in.